Hey, what's going on, you savages? Welcome back to VTSR, Veterans Transition Support Recon Show Podcast. Uh, as you guys already know, if you have listened to a prior podcast, uh, we have had Marines, we had had law enforcement, civilians, a nonprofit organization, a lot of Army Green Berets, you know, those guys are everywhere. Uh, <laughs> but uh, today's guest is a retired Marine uh, MARSOC, which a lot of people don't know about MARSOC and uh, they're getting confused all the time with uh, Force Recon. Uh, but anyways, he is a, uh, he was born in a military base, so I guess he was destined to be in the military, uh, join the Marine Corps, uh, had a successful career. And after retirement, uh, six months into retirement, he, uh, you know, he's still trying to figure out what to do. However, you know, all Our journeys are different, and we have people in this podcast that have struggled with PTSD, with anxiety, with, uh, you know, the fact that they're not in the military anymore. Uh, this is not the case for Shane Stumiller. Uh, so far, his mental health is doing okay. His transition was okay. Uh, so, yeah, it's good to hear uh, sometimes the good news that, you know, not everybody needs to struggle. Not, ever, not everybody will struggle. So uh, Shane will share, share his story and you're going to learn a little bit more about his career, uh, the beginnings of MARSOC and all that. But before we jump into that, I want to remind everyone that Let's Walk It Out 222 Mile Rock March is a 10-day journey, 222 miles from Fayetteville, North Carolina to Camlet, June and back uh, to raise awareness for suicide and prevention and also to support some great organizations that will benefit from this rock march. Uh, you, there's still sponsorship uh, opportunities available. Uh, you can donate items to a raffle if you would like. Uh, you can donate, uh, just make a simple donation, uh, or you can join us during the rock. All this information you can find on our website at letswalkitout.org. Uh, and if you have any further questions, go to our facts page over there that will answer most of your questions about how can you join, Uh, etc. So please support Let's Walk It Out 222 Mile Rock March and uh, hopefully we'll we'll see you guys there. But now let's get into the podcast and welcome our guest Shane Stumiller. And finally we got him here. Here is the man, the myth, the legend Shane Stumiller. What's going on Mike? Not much JP. How are you doing? I'm doing good. And uh, Shane, how are you doing, brother? Oh, I can't complain. This is good to be here. Oh, that's good, man. Love to see that face again, man. It's been a while. It's, it's been a while since we've seen each other. <laughs> yeah. But uh, anyways, Shane, uh, tell our audience about you, man. Who, who's Shane? What's up? Yeah, so I was, uh, I was literally born on Paris Island. My father was a drill instructor, and then I was raised in Wyoming. Um, I got to Wyoming when I was about nine months old. So I claim Wyoming is where I'm from, even though my birth certificate says South Carolina. But I was raised in the mountains, hunting, fishing, doing all that stuff. And then uh, I joined the Marine Corps right out of high school because I needed to get on the first train leaving Wyoming as much as I loved it. Like, I needed to see the world and go on. So I joined the Marine Corps right before the invasion of Iraq in 2002. Um, go to boot camp, go to school of infantry. And that's like when everything started to happen for the heyday for the invasion of Iraq. And uh, my school of infantry with the Marine Corps um, was only six weeks long because we did like the basic 03 xx everybody's a, a 03 right before or right after thanksgiving before christmas and then you were supposed to come back from christmas and go into your mos specific skills yeah i didn't get that like 
Force Recon came over to us, and then we all went through urban training, and then they got us in the four platoons that were in the in the company. And they're like, first, second, third platoon, you're going to Victor 3-2. Fourth platoon, you're going to Victor 2-6, which is like two different infantry battalions in the Marine Corps. And so the guys that went to Victor 2-6 literally took their all their issued equipment from SOI, turned in their weapons at the armory, got on a bus, and they were on the on ship going to the invasion that weekend. The my platoon, fourth platoon that went to um, Victor 2-6, we took all of our equipment and we just went across the river to Camp Lejeune. And then we played this game like, you're going to war, you're not going to war, you're going to war, you're not going to like, so I didn't know what I was doing for my first month in the Marine Corps, like nobody does anyways, but we ended up going to the invasion of Iraq. I'm a PFC. I'm the only per like there's seven of us PFCs in the platoon. Everybody else in the platoon's on stop, lost, stop, move. They all want to be out of the Marine Corps as we go into the invasion of Iraq. So like very awesome senior Marines, very, you know, calm, cool and collected, not disgruntled at all. That was sarcasm for those that can't pick it up. Like they were like the biggest assholes <laughs> in the world because they all just wanted to get out of the military and they were like trying to go to war. So we don't do anything. We were a day late, a dollar short to everything in the invasion, but I was there. Um, so then, you know, do a couple more deployments in the grunts. Um, and then in 2006, I come over to a unit that's called FMTU or Foreign Military Training Unit. Um, and that was when MARSOC was standing up. So I came over to Marine Special Operations pretty much from day one. Uh, Marine Special Operations was, when it first stood up, you took the Force Recon Platoons, First Force, Second Force on each coast, and then the Bastard Battalion, which I came from, FMTU, Foreign Military Training Unit. And we all kind of came together and formed what would become MARSOC. Um, I can claim to be in a bunch of different units within Marine Special Operations, because during the forming, you know, it's like, any group of people you're storming, norming before you're performing. Well, we were storming a lot there trying to figure out what we were going to call us, what our missions were going to be and how we move forward with it. Um, but I came over at, at pretty early on there. Um, I went to a Russian speaking team. And from there, I, I went to uh, Kyrgyzstan and Tajikistan. That's where my team was deploying. Um, that was early 2006, seven, eight, nine, ten. 10. I was there doing all that stuff in Kyrgyzstan, doing J sets and CNTs. Um, to back up real quick as I talk about this, Marine Special Operations had two missions really when we first stood up. You took the Force Recon guys and they did the direct action and the special reconnaissance, so like your green side reconnaissance going through. And FMTU, we were the FID force or the, the, the Foreign Internal Defense Force, so going there training people. Um, and so our missions in Kyrgyzstan were combined joint exercise trainings, JSETs or CNTs. And we were training the, the Kyrgyz. And like, to be honest, like, let's think about Iraq, Afghanistan, that's happening. You had Manas Air Force Base in Kyrgyzstan. Like, we were just a political tool to keep that Air Force Base there. The Kyrgyz military was, you know, benefiting from us being there. And that's who we were training. Um, while we were there, I got pretty lucky. I was the, the money man to the team, which is like a great job. But it's also like the worst job in the world. Um, so I had, uh, we had a bunch of other issues that were happening in country, like beyond our control, not my team, not what's going on. I ended up spending a bunch of extra time in country by myself because the embassy froze our money, um, not for anything that I was doing, but I couldn't leave the country because my, my the team's missions funds or MIPR funds were still at the embassy, like on hold. So my team goes back to the States. I'm stuck in Kyrgyzstan where I have no job other than to check in with the embassy every day. Oh, I'm stuck. It was, it was terrible. Oh. It was terrible. Um, <laughs> I was trying to do whatever I could, like legitimately to try and find work. But um, honestly, that's where I kind of really learned about special operations because there was at the time a chief warrant officer there, the kind of uh, Army SF chief warrant officer there um, doing some missions there. He took me under his wing and he's like, all right, man, 
you can come with me. And I got to see behind the curtain the special operations at that point. So, like, so he taught you all the wrong stuff. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Again, leave your beret on the desk yeah. and go to coffee. Go to coffee, You're right. So <laughs> we got to see a bunch of the other the, the special activity sides of, of special operations and how that works and how we can fit into some of these different places. And so that was a really cool, like, eye-opening experience. And I was young. Like, I was a sergeant, just about to be a, a staff sergeant, so E5, E6 in that time period. Um, but, like – you know, true soft guys. I married a I married a foreigner. I brought back a uh, a Russian girl from Kyrgyzstan. So I can say that I was the first person in Marsoc to legally marry a foreigner. Like there was a few others before <laughs> legally, me. Legally, legally, <laughs> legally do it. Um, so I came back from that deployment. I was going to tell the security officer, like, "Hey, I'm going to marry a foreigner. Like, we haven't done anything yet. I want to do this. How do I do it the right way?" And he just like lost it. Like threw me out on the street. Like, you can't be in here. We're pulling your clearance. Like. The sky is falling. Like every, I didn't know what was going on too. Like I also, this is new to me. Like I'm like, oh man, did I really just make this huge mistake? Um, this made company. One of the company commanders comes walking by. He's like, Stu, why are you sitting outside? And I told him the whole situation. He's like, that's bullshit. And like five minutes later, he comes walking out. We're in the battalion commander's office. He's explaining it to the battalion commander. We're explaining it to the security, the SSO for the battalion. Like the just running our clearances. And he's like, yeah, he's fine. Go back to work. You're good. And that was the last I heard of it. So. <laughs> And what year is this, uh, Stu? Uh, we got married in 2009. So that was 2008 when we I was doing all of that stuff. Okay. Um, and then, yeah, we've been married for 14 years now since then. All right. So back up. Uh, do some more deployments to Central Asia on, a, on my teams there. Kyrgyzstan, Tajikistan, bounced around. Come back to third. Um, so this is 2011-12. It's kind of like the height of Iraq, Afghanistan, or sorry, Afghanistan for Marsoc. I ended up going out on a combat replacement to its first and second battalion because at that time, third battalion was only spending one team at a time to Afghanistan. So I was trying whatever I could do to go, get to Afghanistan, but I went to a combat replacement. And as soon as I show up, as Nick, that was guy, after they were allowed in Afghanistan again, again right? <laughs> oh yeah, we want to talk about that. Yeah, this is, this is after we're allowed to come no. back. Um, Yeah, yeah, yeah. We don't gonna talk about that. We don't gonna talk about that. <laughs> so, but I show up, you know, it's, it's, even though I'm like a Marine special operator and I'm from a different battalion, like I'm still like Nick, the new guy showing up and I'm not from that battalion. I'm not like anybody else. So I show up to the team that's supposed to go to be a combat or, or to the company that I'm supposed to be a combat replacement for. And they're like, hey man, we owe a tax to Siege of Soda. So you're going to Bagram because they're not going to take one of their own guys that they just went through a workup with, which I get it. So I ended up going to Bagram. Uh, I was there for when third group was ripping out with seventh group. So at the time I had Colonel Fletcher, now General Fletcher as the Siege of Soda commander from seventh group. Who's, that was an awesome rotation just to see how an 06 command works and how it actually, how soft works, you know, because you got to see the whole like breadth and depth of what was happening at the, in special operations there at Siege of Soda. We had the VSO missions going on. You had the, the commando missions going on. As well as you were like you had LNOs, you know, with the 82nd, with whatever Marine Battalion was going on, and you can really see the chess pieces as they're moving. So that was kind of a cool, real, really good learning experience as a, a pretty junior E6, like sitting there, like in all of those meetings. Um, like the one thing that now General you know, did to me, and oh, go ahead. No, 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 go, go, go. I want to hear that. So this is <laughs> Marsoc's still standing up, right? And like. We had just gotten our MOS, right? That's our military specialty is 0372, which I can largely thank at that. We did it in, I think, five or six years since we stood up. 
and honestly, it's like we had a bunch of SF guys and SEALs that were at the command as GSs or contractors saying like, you have to get this right, right away. And so yeah. right before that deployment or during that deployment, I don't exactly how it remembers, but that's when we got our MOS is 0372. But we didn't have a device. We didn't have any way to identify ourselves as a special operator. You know, and as a Marine, I can laugh at you guys, Army guys, because it's always the handshake and it's that lean, like you're doing the tab check. Like, hey guys, what are you, what are you doing, right? Or like the SEALs is like, they're checking the guys, they're checking the, uh, looking for the Trident, right? Like, as, as much as it's funny to say that, like there's there's some truth to knowing what the guy is sitting across the table from you and not having to say a word. So like there's some, there's some truth to that. Um, at that time, I would have disagreed with that. I was like, oh, we're Marines, we don't need that. But no, like we kind of, I do now see why we need it, but. At the time, um, Colonel Fletcher, now General Fletcher, we were in the VTC. It was just him and I, and we were representing Siege of Soda when we were counting the ALP, the Afghan local police, and my job was to count them. So I get up and I brief my piece. And then like on the VTC, nobody, I can't see anybody on the VTC ask the questions like, how do I know that Marine's a Marine special operator? And then General Fletcher steps in, he's like, well, because he told you he was. And like, I'm, I'm, I'm E6 in this meeting, right? And I'm like, there's a bunch of lieutenant colonels and colonels and general officers. Like, I don't understand what's happening at this point. Like, I feel like I'm just getting put over by a bus here. So I'm like standing up, like, what do I do with my hands, right? Like, it's time to flip yeah. them off and walk out the door. Yeah. We, we answer the question and we move on. Well, come to find out, that's when they're trying to make the play to the commandant on why we need to have a device. It's like, you don't know who I am as a Marine standing up there briefing people and, and what credibility do I have as an E6 telling you why we need to do X, Y, and Z with ALP coming, you know, that's underneath a, an 06 SF officer? Like, who am I to say this and justify this position? So it's like kind of that instant credibility piece that you have. So I just always remember that and why it's important to have that device. And that's that kind of getting run over. Um, but let me tell you, you, you had a, a, a good, a good, well, general colonel at that time yeah there, oh, was yeah. colonel fletcher amazing commander amazing he's an amazing individual i really really enjoyed my time with him like so it was, it was really cool yeah. sorry you had a question but, you know like uh you're, you're no you're talking about uh you know how that team sent you over there you ended up learning a lot uh long story short same, same stuff happened to me when we went to afghanistan as a battalion in, in seventh group uh my my team got there and we were going to Garesh. So there was nothing in Garesh. Like there was no teams, no uh, no uh, partner nations. There was nobody in Helmand province at the time. So they're like, you guys going to go there and find a spot and establish your base. So of course, at that point, you know, my team is still basically at the, uh, at the FOB. They're, they're trying to gather all the stuff that they need. They're like, so we can go out and, and scout for an area where we want to set up. So... <laughs> Uh, at that point, they needed an AST for our AOV. So they go, hey, you, you need an AST. And of course, you know, my team client was trying to to figure out who he was going to leave an a, a, as an AST, but I was the only 18 Bravo, the only weapon sergeant, right? So he goes like, man, do I... So they did a lot of, you know, calculations in their head. They're like, who do we really need? They're like, well, we don't need a weapon sergeant yet because right now we actually need the 18 Charlies. We, we got to get all this logistics in place. We got to get all this stuff. So we need 18 Charlies more. So, and plus I was one of the newest guy in the team too. So they're like, all right, JP stays as an AST. So I did one month of AST. By the time that the team found the spot to actually that they wanted to use, my AST time was over, right? But I tell you what, I learned so much. I was complaining at first until I learned <laughs> 
so much over there. And I go like, you know what? So when I got back to my team and uh, the team started, goes, oh, we're going to do this. We're going to order that. I like, I go like, hey, Bernie. Yeah. It's like, actually, uh, this is how they want it done. And he goes, how do you know? He's like, remember, I was just there. I'm telling you, I'm saving you time, bro. <laughs> that way your request don't get kicked back. Yeah, no, it's, that's true. Like it's, having that experience is like, it's amazing how much you can come back. It's E6 and like, you know, this is what the Colonel wants. He wants to know this, 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 and this. He doesn't care about any of that. Like, and you can speed that, that process time up. Why are you laughing there, Mike? You, you, you guys are learning stuff up there. I go up there and I steal vehicles. I steal the Colonel's motorcycle. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm stealing hold on, shit. Hold on, but that's Charlie. a good 18 Charlie, though. <laughs> but I literally stole the Colonel's motorcycle. Yeah. And rode around uh, the Cedar Soda. So I'm glad you guys all learned something. I was just stealing <laughs> shit. Yeah, in Afghanistan, our Sergeant Major uh, was uh, was really mad. Our first deployment to Afghanistan, he was really mad because he was making jokes all the time about how generators and vehicles get disappeared from the 82nd, right? <laughs> and he always laughs. He's like, ha, ha, ha. All right, which one of you acquired some equipment from the 82nd, put it back? And he was laughing all the time until his coffee, uh, <laughs> coffee pot disappeared, too. And at that point, it was not having a good, it was not funny anymore. Yeah. <laughs> it was not funny anymore. That's... But uh, hey, Shane, uh, let's go back just real quick a little bit. Uh, you said your first deployment to combat was with uh, recon, right? First recon? No, I was never, I was never a recon Marine. I was an infantry Marine 0311. So I did the invasion of Iraq as a, with Victor 26 or 2nd Battalion 6 Marines. Golf Company. Uh, okay. I did a deployment to, to our Japan with them, and then we went down to the Philippines to Siege of Soda P, um, and we were just basically the Siege of Soda P's, you know, personal bodyguards and or taxi drivers running logs, logistics for them, because that's what SF guys are going to do. Any cool stories from that deployment? No cool stories? <sighs> the Philippines. I think we just need to <laughs> just skip that and move on. Like, uh... <laughs> you learned a lot in the Philippines. You learned a yeah. lot. Okay, okay, got it. And uh, and then then after that, you you're now in Marsal, nope, right? And then uh, that's... I did one more deployment to uh, Fallujah in 2005. Yeah, late 2005, 2006 with with the grunts. Um, and then I came over to Marsal in 2006, right after that deployment. So I got to Marsal in 2006, okay. and then I did. It was basically back to back to back J sets. I mean, we were back in the states for 45 days, and we we're turning around and going on another one. So from by the time I finished all of the training in 2006, our first appointment was in 2007, and I was done doing Central Asia in about 2010. Because we would basically come back 45, 60, 90 days, you'd get a couple of schools, and you were right back over there. So, um, Yeah. That, How was that, that Fallujah deployment? That was great, because I was a, at the time I was a team leader, so an infantry team leader, I was a, a fire team leader. But by the end of that deployment, I was a squad leader. And like, that's how much you really get to see how much firepower the Marine Corps has and like just the, the DOD can bring down to you, especially when you're like running around the city and you just got an inviter and you're like infantry squad of rifle stuff. Like you can do a lot of damage and they give you a lot of key, like a little bit scary how much stuff you can do in that. And, but at that time, that's exactly what they wanted us to do. And we weren't going to be in Fallujah. They weren't doing like the three block war or like the chess piece games that was going on. Like, no, we were just in there like messing stuff up. Like, and that's, it was great. Like, we got to just go mess stuff up. Like, <laughs> um, I mean, if you think about it, you, you got a, a an E3, right, running around. I mean, I'm not saying you, yeah. but you got an E3 running around with a rifle or radio, and you tell him, hey, go and do that. And he's in a foreign country in charge of a mission, yeah. destroying the enemy or whatever yeah. it is. And he's just he's just a kid, yeah, right? 
But, uh, uh, you know, a lot of people don't realize that. It's like, you know, it, uh, that was now. Unfortunately, I, I seen a lot of the uh, newer generation is, is not the same. Like you're giving a mission and they're like, okay, are you going to take me there? <laughs> are you, you going to go with me? Oh, yeah. But, uh, but uh, the, you know, I, I, I remember seeing, because uh, when, when in 2004, 2005, I was there in Alhila. And uh, I was, uh, uh, there was that uh, uh, Marsoc team over there. Yep. And, and the uh, 40, what, 44th Mew or? Uh, yeah, I'm not sure which Mew they were, but they were attached to one of the Mews, but yeah. Yeah, that, that, so there was a Mew over there. And uh, I we used to go there all the time because every time we went on missions, they, they're like, hey, let us know, we'll roll. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, got it. And I, so we went over there and uh, all the time and I, I saw all those privates just itching over there. They were like, you guys got something going yeah. on? Come on, Green Perez. What you got? What you got? <laughs> and we're like, all right, we'll, we'll, we'll put you guys to play tonight. They're like, yes, yes, yes. You see them over there like already. And, and I'm like, man, I like to see that motivation, you know? <laughs> it was, yeah, it was, I, I was in the drums, I think, in the, like some of the best times of my generation to be in the infantry. Like there's a, a small stint in like, you know, the 2010, 12 era that was like, they did Sangin and, uh, Marja in in Afghanistan. So like outside of those two things, I think I was in one of the best spots to be in the infantry because you just got to pre-range on a lot of stuff. So, so uh, before I forget, uh, you went to a Russian-speaking team, right? When you went to Marja, yeah. uh, and uh, did you already know Russian, or you had to? Oh, learn? No, that was like we were definitely not, you know, politically correct or following EO officers. We were picking teams. It was like, hey. And he got he did the right thing. He got a long hair dictionary yeah. and called it good. Like, no, I came to it like when we graduated, it was like you guys are all going to the Russian speaking team. Oh, you're brown, you're going to the Spanish team, or you're going to the African teams. Oh, you can already speak French, you're going to the African teams. Like it was just like there was no assessment, like Yeah. If, what is it? The, the D lab or the DLPC right. test, whichever way you take for your language, like yeah. I'm a retard according to that. Yeah, I can't yeah, even yeah. speak English. Yeah. <laughs> SF does that for seventh group. All the brown yeah. people go to seventh group. Period. Uh, actually, third group is third group is full of uh, uh, Hispanics. I don't know why. Come on, actually, don't, don't, don't ruin the picture. Seventh group is mostly brown. It, well, that, that, there's a lot of brownies there. You gotta admit it. it, it seventh group <laughs> looked like 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 INS, you know, an office of INS over there. But so I, I do remember we were at we no, so, to you, and we had a, a, I can't remember what formation we were doing some sort of like company or battalion formation, and we were like in team. You know, it's like kind of a we weren't really companies at that time. We were really just teams, but we kind of put us in four teams like yeah you four teams stand together you four teams stand together and there was really no rhyme or reason to the order of the team yeah. but we were all just standing together but you see the lines of the teams and it's like an all white guy team an all spanish guy team an all black guy team it's like oh there's a russian team there's a spanish team there's the africa team and the base eo officer comes <laughs> walking by and she was not too happy with what we were doing or why we we're in formation <laughs> but i still remember the conversation Like none of us could figure out what the problem was. Like, uh, like all of us are like, <laughs> we're, we're looking makes at, sense. Like, you guys just makes sense. The Russian team, like, like, we're, and all these things, and she just couldn't understand what was going. On. Like, so there was this like five, ten minute conversation with this the base EO lieutenant colonel and our lieutenant colonel battalion commander, like trying to explain what was going on, and they just like button heads, and the whole battalion's like, we don't get what's the problem here. Like, yeah, yeah. common sense, people. <laughs> It makes you gotta sense, blend man. in as much as you can. Jeez, the, hey, it's true. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Yeah, yeah that's, that's how we were said. It's like it's like when 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 you're when you're in like in a in a secret squirrel team, right? And you're like, and you deploy down south, and then you got the three 
tall, six foot tall, blonde hair, green eye guys with you're like, bro, we ain't blending yeah. in, bro. <laughs> we're, not, <laughs> we're not blending in here in Guatemala, yeah, yeah. bro. <laughs> we're, we're... No, no. no, but I hear you. Yeah, so like. And uh, so, so uh, then after that, uh, you did all those deployments to Europe and you had a great time. Yeah, and so, and uh, right. is that, is that uh, shortly after that is when you went to, uh, to the well, schoolhouse? Yeah, like, I tried to. to stopped the, the schoolhouse Grim Reaper, but that didn't, because I was attached to a new battalion at that time, because I went over to the new battalion thinking that would reset my team time, and then they sent me to see DeSoto, I was like, whatever, if that's what I got to do to reset my team time, I'll come back from that deployment and go to a new team, do a full workup, they're like, no, the battalion sergeant major was like, no, you just came for a combat deployment, and we need to send guys to the schoolhouse, you're going to the schoolhouse, so I didn't, so then I had to go do my, my schoolhouse tour, uh, and so then, you know, MARSOC, the special operations, were structured very similar to SWIC is um, like first, second, third phase selection and all that. I was in phase four, which just happens to be the last phase. So we, we'd call it Derner Bridge. SF, you call it Robin Sage. I mean, we literally had a civilian green suitor contractor that is a, um, an SF guy that was talking to us, or that was one of our instructors. And we, before I got to the schoolhouse, we had, um, we had guys go to, Robin Sage and be guest instructors for two or three rotations. And we literally went and changed Robin Sage, Turner Bridge. And we just plugged and played everything that we could so we could just recreate the wheel like that. Uh, what, what, what year was this? I'm not sure when they started. I got to the schoolhouse in 2012. And so they were over there in eight, 2008, 2009 is when they would have been going over to the schoolhouse. Yeah. Yeah, yeah actually. I was, at, I was at SWIC, the Charlie course from 2010 to 2013. And we actually had every class three to four MARSOC guys come through the 18 Charlie course. They're going through the Charlie, the Bravo and the echo course. Cause you guys get Navy uh, yeah. medics. Well, the, uh, same. I was in uh swag from actually, I was in pro, uh, a dot D at the, at the time in doctrine and training uh, in 2009. When I first got there, I was in doctrine and training and uh, we got our asses hammer because uh Mark, you know, Marines contacted us. They were like, hey, man, we're trying to start a schoolhouse. Can you guys help us out and give us like a head start? Because you guys did all the homework for the last hundred years, right? So we're like, yeah, sure. So people started sending uh, FMs and TMs and all that. And we got, oh, my God, it just came down. It's like, nobody's allowed to send blah, blah, blah. There's going to be a meeting. Because, you know, somebody wants to get the credit for that. You know what I'm saying? So instead of just helping the guys out somebody wants to do a formal meeting to sit down with the marsoc personnel so they can hand down that information and say i was the hero that that's all it was that's yeah. all it was <laughs> but but yeah i remember that and and then uh uh they were going to the 18 charlie course and i think a few of them mm -hmm. went to the 18 bravo course as well uh, back then they were talking about trying to get you guys like your specialized mos like 18 charlie 18 bravo yeah. and I mean, it was a great, it was a great experience. I was an acting committee chief when they first started doing that. And then I went to be the SOC instruction, primary instructor. And then it's like the first year and a half was great. Sent phenomenal dudes over. And then you start getting the lackluster back half. Yeah. <laughs> that was well, I think that was the biggest 2012 when I started doing uh, Derna Bridge as a contractor. Yeah, that's where we met. Like, uh, <laughs> and so... Yeah. Uh, so, so, so Mike, when Derna Bridge was set up, I, I don't know how they're doing it now. 
you know, but I know initially when it was set up, there, there was a big contract for Denver Bridge, of course, you know, every, sure. every, every defense company got to get into that. But uh, I know that the, uh, uh, like one of the main, I forgot what his position was, like operations, uh, remember, uh, oh my God, you're going to remember who I'm talking about. He was like, with the staff, with the colonel and all that, he was a civilian contractor working for Not Marsoc. And he was uh, like the guy guiding them through everything, basically, but for staff level. Yeah. And then uh, he, uh, <clears throat> he, uh, so it, it, that contract required that person to be former SF. And then, uh, then for all the SMEs, the contract required them to be prior Green Berets as well. And then for the G Chiefs, the, the contract required to be Green Berets as well. Uh, so they, no, it was like a mafia over there, but yeah. it was fun. Like we all got, got along, right? Like I, I think I, I tell a lot of people is like my FTIs were freaking amazing to the point where they even go like, you know, because these guys, uh, the instructors, the FTIs, like he was a field training instructor, right? Uh, that's what stu position was, and uh, they rotated a few times, and I was still there. I was there for five years. Like I saw about three or four FTI leads that. Yeah, yeah, and uh, and it's funny because it got to the point where they were like, I get a new FTI, they're like, hey, uh, I'm new this and that, and I go like, don't worry, bro, I know what's going on, I'll tell you the schedule better than you know it. <laughs> I know the schedule from top to bottom, I know what's going on day one, day that two, day it three. So much easier because like, there's a lot of backside stuff that has to happen, coordination with police, landowners, logistics, like all of those just a little things, ankle biters that came up, and like having you there that had done like. You had done one or two before I got there, but JP knew the entire schedule. He also knew what intel was coming. So it was like, hey, man, you forgot to send this intel. Like, oh, yeah, I'll be right on it. Like, you can give me those little prompts. Like, <laughs> so, yeah, it was good. Like, uh, but for those that don't know, um, like, our Derna Bridge is the same thing. It just takes place in South Carolina. And so we're kind of going down to South Carolina and just doing it there. And the reason for South Carolina is it's, we, we have the students go through their isolation and, and training at Camp Lejeune, but it's just far enough away that you can get there quickly, but it's also far enough away that you have to bring everything, and we let them pack everything. And if they didn't bring it, <laughs> well, they didn't bring it. And it's kind of like a learning curve. Tied down, end of the line, yeah. bowl line to your rucksack. Go. Oh, like that thing that went into almost hypothermia because the captain goes like, uh, we're going to be moving a lot. We don't need the yeah. sleeping bag, yeah, remember? Yeah. And it was raining and freezing. <laughs> And it was raining and freezing. Yeah, it was like February. It was like one of the coldest February South Carolina had ever seen. Yeah. Like, yeah. But I get, one of my, I get one of my G's, uh, one of my G's come over to my tent. He's like, Commander, Commander, we got a problem. I'm like, what? I'm trying to talk to the Americans and they're not answering. I'm like, what are you talking about? I told you to go over there and wake him up. I did, but they're not answering. And, I, and we walk over there and they were like, all like, spooning together and they were like literally almost in hypothermia to the point where i call these guys i go like hey you guys need to come down here and bring, and bring the doctor it's like <laughs> these guys are like yeah wow they're hurting yeah but uh no so that was a great time and uh real quick before we move forward can you tell everybody what the faces of uh marshall yeah. training are because i know we get a lot of yeah, questions so about changed that a few times and i heard it recently just changed since i was there so you have selection and assessment you have phase zero which is like let me back up. So we only run like a couple selections a year, three selections a year. And so it might be six months or so before you, you get selected before you report into the school. Cause we're just not that big. Right. Um, so phase zero is kind of get everybody back in shape, 
get your gear issued, understand the mindset, understand what's going on. So the phase zero is not too difficult as far as like, you're not learning a whole bunch of stuff. It's really physical and that and getting everybody back up on plane, um, finishing clearances, finishing psyche valves, finishing like all of that kind of prep stuff. And that's, it's not that long. Um, I think it's three, four weeks. Phase one is all your green side patrolling. Um, we call it it's Raider Spirit. Um, you know, it's going to end in a big, long field X um, where you're going into the spirit world in the end because you're just not getting sleep. Like, the best way I can describe it that a lot of people will know about it, it's like kind of like a... I, I was thinking something completely different, like, you know, everybody's motivated, Raider Spirit, then you're like, yeah, you're, no, we're going to the spirit world. You're not going to be, <laughs> totally that. Get that. You're be running through the woods. You know, we're chasing you with flashbangs, and you're just going to be near ambushes, long ambushes, just making movements it's, through the North Carolina swamps. And like, no matter what you do, you're not going to win, right? Like it's just set up that you're just not going to win. Um, so you got that one. And then you move into the DA phase or direct action. Um, and that's five weeks. And we're taking guys, you know, like zero to hero and shooting. Cause we have, you know, we're open to every MOS. Um, I always think it's funny. We usually get like the band members or some other weird goofy um, MOS. It's always like the high shooter and the best one in CQB. It, no bad habits. No, ha- no bad habits. Stuff like that. So um, DA yeah. phase, and then it goes into um, like your special activities, urban um, surveillance, like where you start to kind of get to see behind the, the curtains of special operations. Uh, and then you move into phase four, which is the unconventional warfare phase. Um, and we call that Derner Bridge. And so that's where JP and I were working. And that's, it's a six week one because it's, it's a couple weeks of academics. Um, like trying to understand, you know, what's an auxiliary, what's the underground, what what are those components that make up on it? And but, I'm, um, I'm having deja vu. But it's also, that's also <laughs> the first time that we really teach them like full-on mission analysis. Like how do you actually like do mission analysis? Mm-hmm. Like they, they, they did five paragraph orders. They did those like, you know, target packages moving up to the Derner Bridge, but they've never done like an area study. They've never done a familiarization they've never done a pdss checklist they've never done some of those other things that you need to go from country a to country b and be successful and get there so that's where you kind of do that whole mission analysis and so we'll have them do a, a mission analysis at camp june and then they go into their mission analysis for the actual event and that's kind of takes them through but also we try and remove the captains at least when we did when i was there and have some of the younger sergeants go in and do that mission analysis because sergeants <laughs> don't have that experience whereas a lot of the officers do have that um right. so that's where you kind of get them to, to to move forward with the planning so one of the difficult things is like just because we're not at the same size you know as group is you're going to have two three four captains in one team in a 20-man team because we just don't have the throughput, right? We're only doing two to three ITC classes a year. Like we're going to be producing 45 to 60 per class. Uh, I'm just curious how you keep, I just curious how you keep three or four captains on the same team. They're not, they're not in the hot seat. They're the slack (laughs) man. They always have to be the junior most man just sitting in the back. And that's the rifle man. But it's the rifle man pretty much. Like how well can they just sit in the back and, you know, just be like learn how to be the junior guy in the team for a little while. So there's some good in, in, in having that. Um, it wow. does make like some things a little bit awkward mm-hmm. at Dirt of Ridge. Uh, I don't want to go too much behind the curtain on that one, but it does like it, there is some friction points. But it's, it's training, and you got to give everybody some looks. So you kind of it's just the, the nature of the beast, unfortunately. Yeah, and of course, and of course, me as the G chief, I figure out one of my teams have four captains. So then I started complaining to one captain about the other captain. And, uh, and I go like, you got to correct him and you got to do that. And then that captain goes over there. He's like, hey, man, you're doing this. Like, 
what? And I go, oh, yeah, I just started some shit. <laughs> that was always awesome, man. Oh, no, I'm just sitting over there drinking my, drinking my coffee and sending them messages going like, oh, this, this is going good down here. It's, it's great. <laughs> but uh, no, but uh, <clears throat> so you finished Derna Bridge, uh, finished the schoolhouse. Where do you go after that? Or I go you back, just retire from school, that? I go back to third battalion, which was, which was the FMT battalion. So that was my original battalion. I go back there and I ended up actually doing uh, a South American mission because I, they needed a team chief. And I just happened to be the E7 that showed back up from the schoolhouse and they already have a mission. They had some issues with their team chief. He'd broken his femur on a jump and they were like about to go out the door. Um, so we go there. Oh, perfect. Cause yeah, the, we, we speak Russian. a lot of Russian down it's there. Like, I was just there to, <laughs> they just needed that. It was the rank at that point. Um, Cool. So they didn't do a whole lot. The team was like super successful. They did everything. Um, I just was there filling out paperwork, doing nothing really. Um, but why I was there is um, I ended up taking, I was already selected to go to, to NATO in Belgium, but I, I couldn't, they couldn't keep me at the schoolhouse. I had to go back to battalion and they needed some E7. So I kind of did this little shuffle for 18 months at the schoolhouse to get, Marsoc wanted our deployments or not deployments, but whoever's going to be stationed over there to kind of line up with some other things. So that's why we had a longer gap. And like I was tied to go, but we had this longer gap before I was actually going to go. Um, so then there's just some internal politics on how the position was taken and, and how, or what position we were going to take at NATO because you get into the joint billets and, and how that's manned. And it's a Marine Corps billet versus a, a MARSOC billet, or it's a joint billet that's open to any service and, and kind of playing those politics to get stuff to the line. How do yeah. we insert a Marsoc guy so over here? That's the question. Still like yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Same uh, before. doesn't want to lose any of those positions like overseas. Like, I get it. I understand why they don't want to give that up. But at the same time, like, recon shouldn't have somebody at, at NATO special operations when they're not part of special operations. So, but they got the position from you know, the 90s when it was stood up and we didn't have a Marsoc. And so that was the closest thing that Marsoc had. And we had to send somebody to join Billet. Yeah. So they just kept on to those bills which I, I get it, but now, anyways, I got to NATO, um, I was 2017, so I was at NATO Special Operations, yeah. <laughs> Kick recon I out. I was the second Marsoc guy there, though, <laughs> um, but I wasn't going to take the same billet that he was taking. Okay. He was at the teacher level, and then they wanted us to come, or part of me was to come in to be an E7, E8 billet, and then I was over there as the NATO Special Operations uh, school chief, so I was the senior enlisted American. There was one other senior enlisted um, guy, Dutch guy from the Netherlands. It was the actual senior enlisted, but I was filling the um, operations chief role. So making sure everything was running um, on, on that school side. So that's what I did for three years. It was great to be there. Um, we did, I was, one of the things I got to do was countering hybrid threats. So it, it was nice that I had a Russian background and understood Russian, but it was like, how do you go and get NATO, because right, you're on NATO, and, and NATO's really all it is is training doctrine amongst each other, unless Article 5 gets invoked, which is the attack against one is attack against all. So like a lot of people don't understand or realize Afghanistan was the only time that Article 5 has ever been invoked since NATO has been in, in existence, because there's an attack against America, America went to NATO and said, hey, NATO, we just got attacked. We're invoking Article 5, a unanimous vote, and now everybody in NATO went to Afghanistan with us. So um, what does NATO Special Operations do? Well, they realize that there's a gap in our special operations and how we're communicating when you get to that siege of SOTUS level and you're allocating resources amongst each other. So they started making with the Jock Operations Course or the Joint Operations Center course, 
that's what it started as. It's like, how do you get everybody on the same page of running a cop and running a jock and know what assets are where and who's where? And that's when we start building those big, you know, networks where we have the Finns, we have the Norwegians and the Canadians all sitting in our jock. Uh, there's all the stuff that was happening in 2011, 12, 13 in Afghanistan as we're trying to understand that piece. So that's how NATO school came about. Um, and then now, like, I don't know how many classes they have. When I was left, they had like 50 different courses, um, all just making sure that you can level communications amongst the NATO forces. Um, and it's really just not, it's nothing crazy. It's all based off of like army FMs, but it's just how do you get everybody at NATO to make sure you understand the same thing. So when we all show up, speaking the same language even though we're speaking the queen's english which is already just awkward so but you gotta gotta like understand that um <laughs> nah the, oh, the classifications on that is a yeah. nut nightmare though yeah what's five by what's like, freaking be a, a interesting but yeah. while i was there what... it's like it's like americans yeah. we got ours not we're not sharing no, we not... i think that's something i learned a lot like... yeah you know, everyone's like, well, why NATO? Why NATO? Well, like the greatest thing about NATO is you know what the other people, what the other forces are thinking and you know how the other forces align their forces. So that way you can understand that if you ever need to leverage them because you just know how that they're structurally set up because it's all part of the NATO doctrine. And then being able to communicate on some basic levels just speeds things up, like the CONOP process, like, right? Like understanding how, like if we want to go do missions, with bottom-up planning, you know, the NATO stuff is the same way. Well, how do you how do you sell your mission yeah. to a British general officer? Well, you kind of have to have the same templates. You have to say the same things. And so that way you can just do that language barrier as fast as possible. Um, so that's that was like the big intent of it. It was really eye-opening to see how everybody kind of comes together to accomplish those things and how as much as... The, that's what like, this is how we're going to do this, Bravo 2-0 uh, yeah. yeah. style. That's the other <laughs> <laughs> I bet they were. Oh, <laughs> uh, so uh, you retire no, so uh, right I, after that? Uh, you, because you, you, yeah, you so made master sergeant, right? Master sergeant, and then um, but, yeah, and they promoted. Sorry, you missed out, JP. But I came back right in COVID, so I had to move <laughs> during COVID. Um, so that was a great. We made the, the flight oh, wow. was amazing because there's like just my family on the flight. We didn't do ourselves. Um, <laughs> That was yeah. actually like the easiest part of it. Like trying to buy a house while we were in Belgium during the housing market was crazy. We actually owned the house before, while we were in Belgium before we ever saw it. Um, the nice thing was we were coming back to an area where we already knew, so we didn't have to worry about that a whole lot. Um, but no, I came back to, to third again, because it's kind of like my battalion that I wanted to go out of, and I knew that was going to be my last gig, so I wanted to rotate out of there. Um, some of the internal po MARSOC politics and Manning and didn't align um, with my timeline at that point. Because um, when I was coming back, I was at 18 years. You know, my wife and I had made a decision, like I'm doing 20 and that's it. We're gonna move on and, and figure out what's the next thing. It's been great. I love the Marine Corps, I love MARSOC, but I quit, like I, I gotta do it. I quit, um, got it, yeah. So going through that. <laughs> I get I it, back, trust me. I'm a master sergeant, they want me to go be a team chief. Uh, I had no problem doing that, but I was like, I'm dropping my appendix J on this date and I'm retiring on this date where you put me. And I missed the timelines of, you know, getting to a workup or starting a workup and they're going to put me to a team. I was going to start the workup and right when the team would be the pool and was right when I was going to retire. So it's like, what do you do? Um, you know, and a little bit behind the ugly curtain of Marsoc, like 
we got to figure out our manning issues, especially being so small, like that pyramid just gets smaller the higher you go, and it gets a little bit harder to juggle manpower. Um, so I kind of joke, like I was just the last master sergeant standing. So I was a battalion operations chief because there's just nobody else to do it, um, which is like the worst job in any SF battalion whatsoever because you every decision you're going to make you're going to screw somebody over like you're either going to screw the company or you're going to screw the regiment it's so like no decision you, you, you got you a bit cojones to roll that job but you spread that you know you're effing somebody over you spread that to everybody at some point or other that's when i was battalion yeah. ncyc that's what i had to do it was like trying to juggle what their train schedule look like so not to screw this company that's getting ready to go somewhere and you know and stack it on the other two and then once they're open it's like hey you get the yeah, next two oh. or three because i'm trying to explain job. that it's probably it's, it's probably one of the most important i liked it actually <laughs> but i think it was so bad for me is because yeah. i had already i was already knowing that i was leaving and so like and that is a key a key job for promotion and growth if you want to go on to be a regimental you know Mm -hmm. any 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 higher level you, you need to have some battalion time so you understand like hey this is going to screw over the regiment but i know the next couple i'll be able to take care of the regiment on this and you're going to screw over the company but so there's some really good growth pieces there but i think it was just most frustrating for me because i already knew that i already dropped my pack at that point and i was like i'm just feeling this because they need to have somebody to do this yeah. um, i had a really good battalion commander a really good battalion um sea that was like understanding of where i was at and what i was doing um as long as I could get the work done, they were kind of letting me kind of do my own thing. So as I go to transition, kind of the point of this this talk is, um, what do I need to do? Well, the special operations community has a bunch of different transition courses out there. So you have the Honor Foundation. I think SODAF is one of them. The Army has the Janus Group, Janus Group, Janus Group. Um, I can't think of that one. And then there's the Commit Foundation. Um, so I started, I did the Honor Foundation. Um, and the Honor Foundation's, it's open to anybody, any MOS, as long as your last unit that you served with while on active duty was an SF group. So if you were, you know, a comm guy just attached to an SF unit, as long as that was your, the SF unit was your unit as you left the military, you can go to the Iron Foundation. And so, like, I think the Iron Foundation is great. So please don't take this comment the wrong way. I, I recommend it to everybody. But the honest, or the Iron the Foundation isn't groundbreaking. It's not going to teach you, like, anything you couldn't learn on your own. It's just going to teach it to you faster. Um, so it's like the, the analogy that I like to use is like, you've been doing your career, especially for guys that are retiring and soft, you're an aircraft carrier and you've been going just forward the whole time. And that's what you've been doing, putting your head down and, and working up for the company, the team, whatever it is, you've just been going forward. The Honor Foundation is going to like get you to look up and like start looking left, start looking right. Like, oh, there's a port over there. There's a port over here. And they're going to get you to just start looking at the horizon and seeing which ways to go and kind of exploring and getting you ready to start move that ship. Because moving an aircraft carrier isn't going to turn on a dime. Like, it's going to move slowly. And especially for somebody that's done 20 years, like, there's a lot of things that are happening in your personal life, in your professional life, and just, like, trying to figure that thing out. So that's, like, the analogy that I used for the Honor Foundation. One of the other groups, I think, are a little bit better. And they, they, they're that tugboat. They kind of come up and push you into port with that final direction once you've figured out where you want to go. So like the commit foundation is going to be more one-on-one. -on -one. It's going to be more tailored to you where you can make that like final approach plan. Like, okay, you know, I figured out like, I don't want to be a project manager. I don't want to work in banking. I want to, I want to uh, own my own business. Well, they're going to put you with honor foundation or the, with entrepreneurs and then kind of get you in 
that last little bit on whichever way you want to go, whatever way your path is. So that way you have some, some onus in, in your stuff. So um, that's what I started doing. Yeah. Oh, I'm going to start a coffee company. Yeah, don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> every, every veteran get a coffee company. <laughs> and t-shirt. Oh, t-shirt. yeah. <laughs> I mean, some of them are successful. Man. You got to give it yeah. that. Some of them are successful, but. You know, it's yeah. just like I tell I tell people it's like, bro, you're you're going into a very saturated market. You know, uh, coffee uh, coffee's uh, everywhere, uh, and it's I'm going everybody. To farms training, farms training company. And not only that, it's the coffee yeah, comes from the same place. You're, you're buying the yeah. same coffee. The coffee from that guy is the same coffee from that guy is the same it's, coffee hey, from that it, guy. It's all marketing. Yeah, it happens all over. It's marketing. But uh, nah, but it's it's all good. So so did did you enjoy it? Like, oh, it's something it. that you recommend? Everybody. The honor foundation is great, right? It gets. Again, it's not groundbreaking stuff. It's just going to be like stuff that's going to speed the learning curve up. Like, how do you use LinkedIn? How do you write a resume? How do you do interview skills? Like, these are things that you're going to learn. And especially for a soft guy, like, you're going to figure these things out. Like, everyone's going to be successful. But they're just going to make it faster and easier for you. And they're going to give you examples where you can – it's just like the con ops, right? Like, hey, man, 7th Group got all their con ops faster through, and they're using this format. So I'm going to go over to 7th Group and be like, hey, man, give me a copy of your con ops. I'm going to change puppy to small dog. And I'm going to put the Raider symbol on it, and then I'm going to submit it, and then we're going to be good, right? Like, it's that's what the Honor Foundation is doing for you. It's just speeding yeah. the things up. Exactly. Sounds like a Marshall captain. No, just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> hey, man, why did I change what works? So, <laughs> no, I agree with you. I just I just linked that together, and I'm like, that sounds familiar. And uh, so when, when you got out, right, when, when you retired, did you already – in your mind, did you have a plan of what you wanted to do? Or you got out and you said, you know what? I'm still uh, trying to figure it out. Um, it wasn't a good plan, which I found out later. So I ended up like, <laughs> no, yeah, no, no. Uh, I'm going fishing. No, no plan to my first contact. Mine, mine didn't make it past the info. So I networked. I did all the things you're supposed to do. I, I don't really know how I got into, I got offered a job, a chief of staff position at a company, a startup company, and they were paying me like, stupid money um like really stupid money but during the pro the hiring process and what was going on with it um i thought this is where i wanted to go they thought this is where that i would be a good fit for them and we started going you know six weeks into working for it it's like right before fourth of july like i'm on terminal leave and i started then so i was double dipping it's like yeah i'm gonna do this this is awesome and then like fourth of july weekend i was like i hate this and like, this is just not what i wanted to do it's like you gotta do something else like i quit <laughs> Um, so, but you know, Damn civilians. Why, where, as I look back, like, what did I do wrong? Well, like there's some things that I just didn't get cause I was new to interviewing and how do you interview and what's going on. And, and like, I'm just looking at the greener pastures, not like seeing some of the things that were going on in front of me. Um, so I think like one of the most valuable things that I've learned is how to interview other companies. So I've also gotten to the point now where like in an interview, like I've stopped two interviews. Like I thought I wanted to get to this job. I started going to the interview. I'm like, yeah, I'm good. You guys, thanks for your time. Like I'm going to just in this right now because you're asking stuff that i'm just not going to do um so like I've, I've as much as that decision and kind of it wasn't good to go to a startup i learned like i don't really want to be in a startup although i thought i wanted to be in a startup um so like go back to the honor foundation the honor foundation crossed off a lot of things for me it's like oh i don't want to do this i don't want to do that like i thought that i wanted to do some of these things and it's like well learning that i don't want to do some things is just as valuable as like, learning the things that i wanted to do well, I've also learned that I don't want to be in a startup to a certain point. Like, um, and this is kind of a hard lesson I heard. So to say that my plan was 
like, no, I thought I was going to go into a startup and everything was going to be great. And they're going to hire me to be the leadership and chief of staff to like get the, the team moving. Yeah. I don't want to be in the startup space because I'm married with four kids. I'm 40. They're all in their thirties and they're holding meetings at two o'clock in the morning, which are absolutely pointless. Um, but that's what they want to do. And it's like, I don't, I don't want to do that. Um, so it's like, took it. Just go ahead. No, I, 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 no, I totally hear you. Like, like I did a uh, yeah. no because we we. I need my sleep. Damn it. No man, we, we had a, a I had a client right in Dominican Republic a while back, and 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 uh, so we had a contract there for a year, and so I had to fly there all the time, and I flew there for like three weeks at a time or whatever. But I'm sitting over there with the team, and I'm, what? No, when, when the guys in the team kept telling me, "Hey, hey, 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 hey boss," yeah, it's like these guys are working until eleven, twelve o'clock at night, this and that. They they're calling me at two o'clock in the morning. Like, no, 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 no. That's not what the contract states, first of all. I like so I went there, you know, the first few weeks I'm sitting over there, I'm like, I realize why. Why they're doing this. Because they're they were all young, right? By the way, half of them were lawyers. So that that's about it as it is already, right? And they're sitting in a conference room throughout the day, not accomplishing anything. Like literally nothing is getting done, right? And then let's have a meeting and talk about a meeting that we're gonna have about. And, and they're talking about what you did last night, this and that, blah blah blah. Then it's lunchtime, and they gotta take the entire two hours of lunchtime. Then they come back, and by the time they get started working again, it's time to leave. And then they get home and they get all the ideas, and they start making phone calls and conference calls. So it's like, hey, I'm sitting in the bathroom at two o'clock in the morning. I remember this. I'm like, no, bro, listen, time to get work done is during the day. That like something emergency comes up, you can call my guys at night if there's an emergency. But just because you came up with an idea that can wait for the next day, yeah. you can wait till the next day. And they're like, they're like, how do you guys got anything done in the army? It's like, how do you guys get anything done? That was here? It. Like, <laughs> so like Reverse trying cycle. to like the big interview process was like, hey, let's go sit down. Like, let's just not spin our wheels or spin our wheels. Like, let's sit down. Like, get all of the you know they call them managers like they had six managers let's get the managers together let's like all of us together like we can take you know yeah. all of our s shops which is all of our managers and let's like sit down and like go through this plan let's do some mission analysis like what are we trying to do how are we trying to accomplish it like i couldn't get them to do that they're like no we it, it's like we're, sounds we're like a weekly battalion meeting yeah because this is too slow like we're not going to get anything i was like yeah it's going to be a slow three days but like, I guarantee you we're going to be sprinting at the back end because everybody's going to know what's going on. We're going to have a task list. Like everyone's going to know what needs to get done. Like, like how are we effective and soft? Like, well, we sit down, do the painful meeting so we can all sprint on our own and we know our checklist and what we got to get done. And if somebody's got something that's, you know, taking longer, we know how to help them with the next thing because we know where it's at on the list because we made a group effort. Like they just, they weren't seeing that. And it's like, <laughs> They would just rather pay somebody a shitload of money to try and figure things out and waste three days on something that we could have collectively come together for a 30 minute conversation and then figured out like, yeah, that's actually pointless. We don't need that right now. Like, let's come back to that later when we have more time. Just wouldn't, wouldn't do it. So that's what was painful. So Stu, uh, I know you're pretty, you stay yeah. pretty busy because you got four kids, right? Uh, but you got out and you're trying to figure all this out and uh, have your mental health been affected in the sense that, you know, you, you just can't put up with people or what in whatever way, or maybe missing the military, missing the process, missing the um, boys or whatever that might be. Like I miss the guys, right? Like everybody wants to stay in the team. Everybody wants to be in the team. Like I would be, a, I'd be lying if I said I didn't want that. Oh yeah. Um, 
but at the same time, like I was ready to hang up my rucksack and like, like, you know, like going back to the end, like I used to love jumping, but towards the end, it just became work. And I was like, man, I'm not having fun doing this anymore. Like, because of all the other things that go in, like the jump itself is great, but all the stuff that has to happen before the jump, all the stuff that has to happen after the jump, like I wasn't having, like the jump wasn't making up for the fun, right? So like, that's the stuff that I missed, like all of those exciting times. So like I was ready to leave the, the Marine Corps when I left. Um, but yeah, like I miss the camaraderie of what's going on. Like I miss, I miss the dirty joke. Yeah. You miss the team, yeah. you miss the boys, so but you don't miss that, the like, BS. Um, you know, like getting out, like the number one priority was to have family time, like have summertime, do all those different things. It's like support my wife. And so like my wife is now a, a licensed esthetician here in Wilmington. She's got her own spa going. So like getting her set up was like my number one purpose kind of going into it. Um, and so that's been good. Well, now she's up and running. So now it's like, now I'm trying to figure out what am I doing again? So it's like, you kind of, I wouldn't say like you're, you're driftless, but I'm like just trying to figure out like which way is the current going? What do I want to do next? But it's like, but I also really like that freedom. It's a little bit scary, but it's also like I have absolute freedom mm-hmm. to do yeah. whatever I want. So now it's just like, well, what do I want to do? Um, so that's kind of where I'm at. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, how long you been out now? Oh yeah. wow! It's, right. yeah. we'll, we'll talk after the the podcast is over. Yeah, it's pretty. We've got some options for you. No. Yeah, it's six months is not that long, you know. No, um, but uh, no, I got I got some options to keep you occupied until you figure out what yeah. you want to do. So yeah, I mean, because what I tell people is like some people get out and they don't plan their retirement properly, right? And they they need money, like <laughs> they really need money, right? And I understand that, and maybe it's not that you didn't plan retirement properly; it's yeah. like you got a lot of expenses, you're right? Uh, but I tell people, if you don't need the money, then take your time, take your time yeah. and then find, well, find something that gives you the flexibility to still say, you know what, this weekend I'm taking a four day weekend with my family. You know, like yeah. the girls are, yeah. are off school. And I want to hang out with them or whatever. Uh, well, well, one thing I wish they had told me when I was uh, transitioning was the different levels of disability in retirement for my rank, what that paycheck looked like. So I can plan that, hey, I got I, I could have said, hey, I got time. I don't have to rush into this because I'm financially this is what I'm looking at. And that's what something that I think in transition, at least for the army, they don't do. I, I obviously I don't know what VA disability I had because it took a couple months after I got out, but give me some kind of figure yeah. so I know what I'm looking at. And that gives the flexibility. But I did the same thing. I, I was retired and I was like, Oh shit, I need to provide. I need yeah, to well, do, the get the income. We, we planned like but your, your VA compensation is something you can't plan for. You don't know what you're going to get. Um, but I had done a bunch of math. Like, okay, if I get 60%, mm-hmm. then I, I'm going to be at this, all be at like this case. So I kind of, I was really prepared for that one. So like I knew if I did anything over 60%, I wasn't going to be taking that huge of a pay cut. So like my standard of living wasn't going to change a whole lot. Right. Were we going to have some of the thrills and, and extra funds? Right. Now? But we're, we're, we're good. And so I think that was probably like the best thing that I did was starting my VA process at that hundred mark. So, right. Cause in the eyes of the VA, right. You're not a veteran until the day after you get out, right. Or midnight when you get out. So correct. Yeah. So <laughs> I had submitted all my VA paperwork right, at the 180 day mark. I had started the process at 180 day mark. So I was done with that 160 mm-hmm. days before I got out of the Marine Corps. I had already done everything from the VA and I'm just climbing that ladder. And so I got out July 31st. Yeah. Um, yeah. And August 4th, I got my rating. So it was like four days later, I had my rating and everything else was, and that was yeah. like the biggest stress. Once that came in and I knew where I was, wow. I was like, okay, 
I'm good. Like I can take a knee at this point. So, yeah. so you, you didn't have any no, troubles with your VA rating? Like they didn't try to say. Yeah. <laughs> I, I got. I, I felt like I got lucky. I got it within two like two months. Yeah. So I thought I was like golden, but I didn't know so that, yeah, what that to was expect. Like stressor going into like so, that four days like i didn't know when it was going to happen and like that's what i was stressing out about like the good thing is i just kind of come off of that really stupid job that paid me a bunch of money which gave me a little bit of a buffer but it was like we were like all right we're gonna have a, a family summer because we've never really had a family summer so like let's do that but then it was like coming into august before i get my rating i'm like uh how's this gonna how's this gonna go but now that i had that kind of you know that little extra runway it was good so was, i've been good and i've been fortunate in that aspect and now my wife's making pretty good money, so I can make. But is your wife yeah, tired of you being home all the time now? Like, she, she don't want to send you an appointment? She's like, you got to do something else. She's like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. He, he's <laughs> Mr. Mom now, so. Like, he's... Something else. Like, and she's probably more ready for me to do something else yeah. Than, yeah. than I am. Yeah. Well, but, but is, it, is it because you're home all the time or because she feels like you're miserable? miserable probably. To a certain point, I wouldn't say that I'm. Okay. I'm, okay. I yeah. am to a certain point. Like I'm. I'm you are. That, like, but um, I also like. I know that I'm in a good mental space. If that makes sense. Like, I'm still. I'm still driftless. You, you, you need good. to have your own. Yeah. Yeah. You need to have your own work. You need to have your own. This is what I'm yeah. going to yeah. do. Yeah. You know, that's what you're used what, to. Whether whether it's a hobby though, it can be a hobby too. Like you know, you don't have to be work. It can be a hobby, but yeah, you need to do something. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. Uh, no, it needs to be work. If you're if you're if you're good, like in a mental state, that yeah, that yeah. that's the best part. I think right? what's cool that, about the woman's yeah. area. So what do you plug something real quick? Uh, another Marsat guy got out like seven eight years ago. He started a, a nonprofit here in Wilmington called the Veterans Business Collective, and it started to take off across North Carolina. So it's probably coming to Fayetteville here pretty soon. But what's cool is about the Veterans Business Collective. It's just it's veteran business owners trying to throw vet business to other veteran business businesses. Get together once a month, just kind of network and tell everybody what's going on. And so that's been pretty interesting to see yep. and like help my wife and still find some of that purpose. And those people where you're like, well, at least once a month, we can go tell war stories and nobody's going to laugh at my off color jokes or my dry sense of humor or, or morbid sense of humor because they have it. And so, like, <laughs> <laughs> JP, bleep that out. So we're. <laughs> That was the, they, am, them, whatever. Don't get offended. <laughs> uh, no, no, I, I get it. But uh, so obviously your transition, because we have people that have smooth sailing transitions. Then we also have people that their transition was all messed up. Right. But uh, so your transition was not as bad it's for right where we middle. can, yeah. where we can hear here. Right. It's like right in the middle. But what do you think, what do you consider was it's been so far uh, the the hardest things for you to adjust. The, the, to adjust to the hardest thing to adjust is that I have absolute control, right? Like it does, it does, and it, it drives you crazy. It's almost like sense. It's almost sensory overload. I I I, I can like everything's cool. I can relate. I, I I know this about myself. Like I can do any job. Like and I can see myself being happy in any job, and it's almost like. Well, I, I have ADHD, right? Like I joined the Marine Corps for a reason. Like everything's a shiny object. And I'm like, oh, oh, I can do that. So it's almost like sensory <laughs> overload. And I think that's probably the hardest thing is because like everything is so cool. Everything's a priority. Nothing's a priority. Does that make sense? Yeah. yeah no. I, I, wait, I woke up yeah. this morning going, what am I going to do today? Oh, okay. I'm going to go play on a, you know, Chevy small block 350 mm -hmm. today. So 
Yeah, there's some days. I mean, it, it's, it's just that weird feeling where I wake up and I'm like, I'm not in a hurry. I don't have a timeline. Yeah. I don't have to bring, get out the house. Yeah. I, I, mean, I can go for the walk with Mrs. I can eat breakfast. I can yeah, take a shower. You know, it's that that is kind of a still. A, I mean, I've been retired for yeah, five years and it's still strange. I think that's the hardest part. Oh yeah. Like, but but I tell you what. Eventually, Shane, believe me when I tell you, eventually. Uh, you're going to love that feeling. That weird feeling, you're going to love it. You're going to love it because I can do this if I want to, but if I don't want to, I can stay yeah. here and do whatever the hell I want to, right? Uh, like like uh, I tell people all the time when they tell me, hey, man, what are you doing this day? I go like, I don't know. What, what you got? They're like, hey, you want to come and do this? I'm like, hold on. I look at my calendar and I got the schedule for my girlfriend, right? And I'm like, she's working? Yeah, sure, I'll come and do that. If she's not working, nah. Because yeah. I'm going to hang out with her. That's it. Like I don't plan anything else when she's not not working, right? That's why I never see JP when I'm in Fayetteville unless I go to Charlie. <laughs> no, but, but you know what I'm saying? It's like, I, and then I, that's the way I plan my calendar. I plan my calendar about yeah. the events, whether whether I got pet sitter yeah. or not, you know. So, but so I'm not forced to do anything. I just do it if I want to. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> but, I, I, but you I'm you'll get there. I think that's the, the, probably one of them the, the biggest challenges on the personal level, right? Like my wife and I with four kids. Like you got to manage four kids, which is painful. Any kids is difficult, but like. What's my wife working? What's going on? Like when I was still on active duty, like you go into the black hole. Like I can't bring a smartphone. I can't bring my phone. Like I can just go into like this black hole. And then it's like at 5 o'clock, six o'clock, I come out. And it's like, what it, happened? It, it, like, so getting used to using yeah. that. And how old are you? For kids, me, Jane? I got, how old are, are the kids? Almost 13, 11, almost eight. And a, just turned six year old. Oh, that's yeah, right. That, that one you, gotta you gotta think about that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they're like, hold on. I hope my wife don't listen to this and figure I messed up my kids' <laughs> birthdays. <laughs> see, see, that that's the biggest thing is like when I when I was in, it was obviously yeah. the regiment was priority. Yeah. You know, they say that you know your family and work is, you know, family's priority. You know, we all know that yeah. it's e it's equal until work says, hey, yeah. you gotta it's be equal here. Until X, it's y, not. <laughs> right. So now it's that's the priority now Yeah, is the family. And that's like been the biggest, you know, I guess thing that made me happy is that now it's the priority is the family. It's the missus, it's the kids. It's, I don't have to report to, you know, the regiment anymore. But you know, Stu, all the, all the, I mean, you got a 13 year old, all the stuff that you missed when she was younger, right. That you miss. And now you're enjoying that yeah, yeah. with your six-year-old, right? That's definitely a huge different relationship so, between the oldest and the youngest. Because I was deployed for half of her life. I was around for the youngest life. So yeah, it's definitely weird. But that That's awesome. Uh, uh, Shane, we, uh, we're going to cut it here shortly. But uh, one, if there's anything else that you want to share with, with the audience, anything personal, anything that you want to share, anything at all. And then uh, I'm going to yeah. ask you a question. Well, I think the one thing that I think is just like my, my personal plug is like hunting and fishing. So like I think everybody just needs to get outdoors. Not just if you like it or if you hate hunting and fishing, like go buy a duck stamp, go buy a hunting and fishing license. Cause it's just going to save our wild and free spaces. And I love those things. So like, I'm going to plug that to any listener, go buy a duck license, go buy a duck stamp, buy hunting and fishing. If you want to keep wild and free places. <laughs> All right. Well, yeah, you want to take me fishing when I go to Wilmington? Now. Let's go. All right. Uh, if you have 
one advice, and this advice can be to somebody who is in the military, is about to join the military, or transition out of the military. If you got one advice that you want to give to any of those people, one what thing would for it be? All of them. Right? Is that the question? Um, yep. Go ahead. Yeah. No problem. On the spot. No problem. No one to shut up. <laughs> but don't be afraid to let the picture give your opinion. I love it. Uh, one hundred percent. I love that one. I love that one. Because he started with like, no one to shut up. I love it. <laughs> oh, yeah, but you can say that these days in the military, you can tell people to shut up. Yeah. No, it's, uh, how's your knife hand, Shane? Is it, it good? <laughs> it never goes away. I'm telling you, it never goes away. Oh, we were doing some stuff in the garage, and I was pointing at some stuff. <laughs> My girlfriend goes like, "If, it, if it, you it, raise, it doesn't have the." Like, hey, hey, chief, it doesn't have the same weight, no, right? No, it's not. It's just, I didn't even realize I was doing it. I didn't even realize I was doing yeah. it. She was like, you raise the hand one more time. I'm like, oh, snap, I got the knife hand out. What, what, what's going on? And all I was trying to do is... Yeah, but, 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 but the results of all that will be entirely yeah. different than what we would expect. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no, Shane, hey, uh, we, we really appreciate you. Uh, you got any, uh, anything else uh, no, before we get out of here, uh, Mike or Shane? Mr. Mike, you got anything for for Shane? Nah, man, I'm good. It was great yeah, to meet you, Shane. I'm glad you came on. Appreciate we'll get more it. Raiders on here to steal your podcast from. Hey, Shane, and uh... oh no, that, yeah, actually, we tried to mix it up because uh, for a while only like only SF guys wanted to be in the podcast, and we're like, ah, oh, man, we, yeah, no, we're rich yeah, guys, right? <laughs> but, I mean, we all experience yeah. the same thing when yeah, we right. transition right. one way or another. Yeah, and, and like uh, I, said, I said, after this okay, is over, I, I have some idea options for you if, you if you're interested. So, real quick, in about one minute, can you tell me uh, how efficient is the Marine Corps uh, process for when you're retiring? Because I, I know the Army question. sucks. Uh, I don't know the, <laughs> 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 the the Marine Corps process for retirement. Is it simple or complicated? The like the DOD set the standard, and which is just like it's abysmal. So like. I was, I've been thinking about that one a whole lot, right? Like, I don't know. I'm probably going to have a black sheep answer on this one. I don't know or think it's actually the responsibility of the DOD to, to prepare us for transition, right? Like, if I, if I put my battalion off sheep hat back on, like, you become a burden at some point to the team and the companies that are about to go out down range as you're, like, going out. And you're, you're no longer effective for me on what I'm trying to be as a fighting force. And you join to, to do that. Um, where I think that military needs to be better at it is kind of give us just your clean break, but you're going to kind of do a severance package and, and, and do that like terminal leave thing a little bit better. What does that look like? I don't know. But I think where the transition space is and what we've seen in you know the last two, three, four years is where nonprofits can step in and really take that thing over and own it. I think there just needs to be a better symbiotic relationship with the DOD, letting nonprofits in to kind of run that space. Because I don't think, I think the military ends up spending too much money that it could waste on bullets, which is like getting pistols ammo is difficult right now. Like, why don't we do it to some of those things? So that's that's where I would say I'm at. With well, the Marine Corps one is terrible. Like, there's there's okay. nothing for the Marine Corps. And I and I think like like retiring is different because you know when you retire you're a master sergeant right uh, sergeant major whatever that might be uh, you know senior enlisted or officer right. But I think that that is really bad when it comes to yeah, yeah. We call it ETSing, you know, or, mm. right? Getting getting out of the army for the civilians listening to us. ETS is your uh, termination of contract. You're just getting out. You're not retiring, and I think they 100%. get screwed the most 
because you know I know I know Sergeant Majors that I never saw for two years because they were in the retirement process. Uh, same with Warrens yeah. that you never saw for a year and a half, two years because they were in the retirement process. But then you got that E4 that is going to get out of the army, and you know he needs a job because he's not getting a retirement, right? And then you're working until the very last day when he pick up that DD-214. And then he gets out and he yeah, has no idea what's going on. I think that's what we're going to have. Like, they <laughs> like, need to leave the battalion. Whatever battalion they're in, they need to be like a transition battalion, like some sort of like yeah. – because when you're still at the battalion, like you're attached to the battalion. I, I, I hate to say it that way, but you are a burden to the battalion. Yeah. But they should do right by you by returning you yeah. as a better person. So I think that there needs to be some sort of – yeah. And, and be able to take you off the books, the numbers at that point, Correct. instead of keeping you till your yeah. ETS or retirement date. Until then, you're still a number in their their manning personnel, right. and it's like I'm not doing nothing. And guess who's going to be on staff duty? <laughs> not me. Yep. <laughs> my, my my biggest gripe about retiring is is like it kind of mirrors a little bit what you talk about DOD being in charge of it. It's like they have a blanket transition process versus offering up and it might be able to uh, even keel with your nonprofit ideas, have uh, the availability to hit different briefings or seminars about, Hey, you yeah. want to go into corporate world. You can go to this briefing. If you want to start your own business, this is your car. You want to go into contracting like I did. This is your lane, you know, and just, you can go to multiple. So yeah, you, yeah. you, cause you don't know what you're going to do, but instead they were pushing the resume on corporate resumes instead of other options. You know, and it, that was my biggest beef with it. It was it was like blanketed towards the officers, in my opinion, and the corporate world versus there's a lot more options out there. I went to, I went to trade schools when I was when I was yeah. uh, on terminal leave. You know, there's different options out there. Agree, and it's just leave it up to the per individual. But but I think the problem with that it goes back to the same thing. Your unit still got you, and they won't give you the time right. to go to those courses. Uh, and I, and the problem with that too is. I forgot who I was talking to not too long ago. And I asked them, hey, how's your transition going? And they told me, well, the problem is I haven't got one. Like I'm still working in the team room and a lot of the briefings now are done online. So he said, I'm in the team room because I need a DOD computer to log into them. They won't let you log in for your personal computer, right? And I'm sitting over there trying to listen to this transition brief. And then I'm getting questions by my team wow. sergeant here and somebody's asking me there. So I'm muting this. I'm going there. It's like, Yep. I'm really not learning anything. You're still working. Because it's online. You're still working. So you're still working. <laughs> and I go like, yeah, that's, that's a horrible idea like, right there. You're still in the battalion, so you're, you're hurting your battalion, and you're hurting yourself. Like, Yeah. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But anyways, uh, Shane, anything else you want to add? Hey, Shane, we really love having you here, man. It was uh, uh, great having somebody who actually speaks English, you know. Because uh, last time, not JP, not, not definitely not me. <laughs> mm -hmm. But uh, uh, hey, we wish you the best, uh, Shane. Uh, stay connected with us. Uh, send us any message, any questions you got. And uh, Mike, hit up Mike. I gonna I gonna text you Max, Mike's okay. information if you don't Mike Mike. Because uh, yeah. uh, he got some ideas for you on how to keep you entertained uh, while you figure out life. And um, yeah, man. Uh, and for all the listeners out there, listen, everybody's uh, transition is a different experience. Everybody's uh, mindset is different. Everybody's struggles are different. Uh, so Shane is a good example here of an okay transition, right? And uh, so it happened to him. Uh, his mental health is okay. Yeah. Uh, and that's a good thing because we don't want every veteran getting out having issues with mental health. And so if if he's okay, so can you uh, – 
you just got to figure out life, man. Uh, everybody's path is different, uh, but we all going to end up in the same place anyway. So, uh, uh, and remember, uh, thanks for listening to VTSR. Uh, and whatever you do, do not, do not cash out. See you next time.